Well, everyone who wants to build a billion plus dollar company should probably read this. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, we are doing a segment that Jonathan and I are quite fond of called Iconic Reads, where we take not books, because that would take way too long, but blog posts that we have read that has really changed how we think about business, it's changed how we run businesses, and how we approach growth. And today we're talking about one that comes from somebody that I actually listened to on a podcast who is quite sharp. So we'll talk about that in a second. But Jonathan, what's up, man? You ready to do this? Yeah, Jim. I'm very excited. These are uh, my favorite podcasts to do, but uh, very excited to get started. Yeah. Yeah. This is a forcing function for me to actually read, which is what I like about it because I get so, like, I listen to things, but I actually don't put my eyes on things. So the, the blog post is called Your Startup is a Movement How Founders Should Think About Marketing. And what's notable is the person that wrote this. Um, it is David Sachs. And so David Sachs, for people that don't know, he's part of the PayPal mafia, like the infamous group of people from him to Elon to Peter Thiel to Reid Hoffman that were part of PayPal and their growth. He also started another unicorn called Yammer. Um, he was a movie producer. He did uh, Thank You for Smoking. He now has a VC firm, Craft Ventures, that exclusively invests in SaaS. He is a billionaire. He flies on his own jet. He's on the All In podcast with some other billionaires, Shamath Palaipatia, um, Jason Kalkanis, who's a big-time angel investor, and then David Freeberg, who's like one of the smartest people I've ever heard talk. But um, what more should people know about David Sachs? Yeah, I remember reading about David Sachs back in the day when Yammer was still uh, a very hot item. And I think one thing that really stood out about them is just their the speed at which they grew, they they grew, and um, all of this obviously before they were acquired by Microsoft. So yeah, this guy definitely knows what he's talking about. Now he's been there, done that. So very credible in what he's saying for sure. Yeah, and um, I forget the name of the book, but the book that comes out about PayPal, it's really cool because like PayPal was just a roller coaster of a startup, but it talks about the story of it, but also these iconic figures that were a part of it. And David Sachs came in into a group of a lot of alphas, and he really drove a lot of the product innovation and growth there. So he is um, a king among kings, so so very impressive. Um, So this podcast or this blog post, let's first talk about the, the main takeaways from it. So for me, the big takeaway was around... You know, he's doing this came out in 2020. So the election's kind of heating up where he talks about the connection between grassroots politics and startup evangelism, basically how to start a movement as if you're a political leader. Um, He also kind of called this, you know, another form of movement marketing or earned marketing where your brand and messaging and press and influencers and content all work together to create something that's bigger than than its own product that it offers. Because you kind of feel like, you know, all of a sudden a brand is everywhere and everyone's talking about it and they're passionate about it. You're like, how the heck did they pull that off? So he breaks it down into 13 steps. And those are first, 
define a larger cause. Second, articulate the problem better than anyone else. Third, attack the status quo. Fourth, define a category. Fifth, build the right team. Sixth, use grassroots customer testimonies. Seventh, uh, release news in lightning strikes, not dribs or drabs. Eighth, organize events to focus attention. Nine, nurture your community. 10, we're almost there to 13. Uh, pick noble fights. 11, strive for a large tent. We'll get to what that means. 12th, work with press and influencers the right way. And 13th, stay grounded. So he literally gives a framework for this. But what, you know, before we get into our best quotes and what we like and don't like, what are your main takeaways from this post? Yeah, I think one thing that immediately stands out to me is, and what I really love about this post is, it's like the high level strategy of defining a larger cause and essentially how to set yourself up for um, lightning fast growth, but also at the same time, it hits on the execution. So it's not just like, this is a theory, it's this is how you actually implement it. So you get to learn both from this one, one post. And I really like the way how he has these 13 steps. It really starts you at the like high level, larger cause, but it really drills down into like how you even build a team uh, and how to go about the like minor day-to-day uh, -day tactical things that are needed to do, uh, that uh, team would need to do. So that's definitely the big takeaway for me. Um, but like I have a lot of favorite quotes or things that stand out to me in this. Um, I think the whole idea of a category um, and I think initially just defining uh, a larger pain point and problem. And one thing that really stands out in all of this is if you can define the problem better than anyone else, people automatically assume that you have the solution. So uh, yeah, they're just these like strategic tidbits that I that I found very impactful. And we'll obviously go into depth with this with all the additional things that we find useful, but that initially at a high level really stands out to me. Yeah, you're hitting on two of my favorites too. So we'll see who can grab them first. So let's start <laughs> with the, the the favorite quotes. I'll even start, this one isn't of the 13 things, but just how we hype this up. I was like, give me the secret sauce on how to do this. But he says, if you want to understand how Tesla became the most valuable car company in the world without spending a dime on advertising while its competitors uh, bought Super Bowl ads or why 170,000 people pilgrimage annually to Dreamforce for the opportunity to be sold cloud products, the answer is that the founders of these companies created a movement. Here's the 13 steps to do that. I'm just like, give me the answers. That um, I'm a sucker for a good intro, so that one was was quite strong. Yeah, and also I think um, just that movement marketing has no ROI. And I think this is probably why most marketers or founders don't pursue this. I mean, besides the fact that it's also relatively hard and most companies can't do this because they are not that special, but it's it really requires a leap of faith for you to define a larger cause and do something that you can't quantify on a spreadsheet and just uh, have faith that at the end of the day, it will pay off, uh, that their dividends will be paid off. So that's something that definitely hit home as well. Yeah, that one's really good. Um, so what what what's a quote that stood out for you? It's best startups are like a cult um, that believes in something true. And a sense of mission is important for both internal morale and external marketing. And I think uh, I really, really like that he hit on the internal morale component because most people think it's about acquiring customers, but it's actually just as important to acquire the right people. And the way to do that is by having a mission so great that people are like, the best people want to come and work at that company. So it works in both ways. And if you can think of all the startups that raise the most money, 
they also end up attracting the best uh, best talent, and this is definitely movement marketing is how they a uh, large part of how they do it. Yeah, and it's a, it's a like you could call us a call me a performance marketer to some extent, where you're just looking at how much did I spend, what is the result. When you have to think of something from a brand spend or movement marketing spend, it's not as black and white as cost per click or cost per acquisition. You have to make these investments where the attribution isn't direct, but the impact could be transformative. And for me, hearing things like this is really helpful because I can get very narrow-minded on the performance marketing lens when, when looking at marketing. So one of the quotes that, that definitely got me was, it was under the category of articulate the problem. And it goes, as marketing guru, guru Christopher Lockhead has pointed out, if you speak more articulately about the problem than anyone else, people will assume you have the solution. And what I loved about that is it is so true. Even a couple examples that like our, our website uh, growth head, as you're listening to this, it's it's fine. But we just really hit the problem on the head with our hero section. And we actually get a lot of compliments on that because it's a guy that's like holding his head and we talk about all the problems. And even as I was talking to Craig Swanson, who's been on this podcast that has sold, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of products, he always says your page with whatever you're selling needs to talk about the problem more than the solution. And he just is very, very adamant about that. And so this one really drove that home. And as we think about like working with our clients, that like they're so quick to talk about their features and what they offer. And they're not addressing the, the real pain point that brought a visitor to the, to the website. I agree 100%. And another one, which is also very crisp, is the one who defines the category wins the category. It doesn't necessarily mean like you'd be the last company in that space because I think there will be a lot of clones and uh, companies that see the the size of this new segment that's been created and will want to jump in. But I think all the companies that I can think of that have raised the, the most money, at least in, in recent history over the past few years, the big names have definitely created that category. And by definition, uh, they almost, the nearest, there's a name association with it almost immediately. Like if you think about like the one that comes to mind immediately is uh, think Uber, for example. People don't say, let's take a ride share. It's like, let's take an Uber. Uber is by definition, like the, the verb they use for that action. So that's a very good example. And that obviously stood out. Yeah, I'm a little obsessed with this idea of creating a category. I'm, I'm rereading the book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And rule two is, if you can't be the leader in a category, create a new one. And it gives all these examples about it. Like I, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with this, like how Spanx invented shapewear and, and owned that category. Um, and so I think about this a bunch. It does take a component of educating before you can sell when you create a new category. But there's also, let me see if I can find it, is you know when you're creating a category, it's not about selling your product. It's about selling the category and your solution for that because you know, if you sell your category, your brand will win. So it's kind of like, you know, one, like two birds, one stone with, with that approach. And so for me, I um, like wherever we can do that, like even with our, you know, direct to consumer product, we're standing up in the men's grooming space. We're trying to create a category with this like dry pomade. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that one actually works out. Yeah. um, That's a, that's a very good point. And uh, along with that, I think uh, he gives a very interesting model of seeing uh, like 
building the right team for this. And he, uh, I really like the, the example he gave of like marketing is like the SAT. You have two sections, math and verbal. Uh, math part that's doing uh, performance-based marketing, that's essentially what we are actually very good at. Um, and then we have the verbal part, which is uh, largely the press, the influencers, the branding, uh, like the high level, def like defining the cause and articulating the problem. And I think uh, seeing that as like one part that's very quantifiable, another which is completely unquantifiable that doesn't have ROI is an interesting model of seeing um, essentially the the landscape of marketing. That's a really good call it actually. Um, another one that I had, this one's really smart because I hear a lot of companies talk about, you know, you, you've got to pick a fight. You got to have a competitor or a villain. And what he says is attack the status quo. Like your startup has an opponent, but it's not your competitors. It's some version of the status quo. You need to name this enemy. Like with Salesforce, um, you know, they were convinced the world that software, convinced the world that software was the enemy, right? And that it was being in the cloud. And it, he says, don't fall into the trap of thinking that your copycats and direct competitors are your enemies, right? Like, and he gave examples of Elon Musk. When someone enters the electric car space, he welcomes them because the true enemy is fossil fuels. And I think it's really easy to want to look at your direct competitors and go after them, but your competitor or your customers kind of don't care, right? It's more of the, the bigger picture. And so I, I thought that one was really well said. You know, actually, this is probably a good segue to the to the parts of the, the blog that we don't like or disagree with, because I disagree with what you just said. I think uh, if you're lucky enough, if you're like Tesla and you're open to giving away your IP to competitors, direct competitors, um, then that's fine. But I think most companies, especially until like, they're solidified and have um, like anchored themselves in the marketplace, will will be very wary of their competitors. I remember reading stories of how Uber, even after it initially defined the market, was very aggressive towards Lyft. There were a lot of scandals that were caused, like that came about that. But I think for every other company as well, where initially, even though you've defined the market, it's still uh, there's still a land grab going on. And if you don't move fast, someone else will definitely come behind you and steal that that market. And uh, uh, that I actually don't think that applies in all scenarios. I think there are definitely a lot of counterexamples we can find on that one. Yeah, with really mature industries and categories like Coke versus Pepsi. That can make sense. Yeah. However, as you go earlier, most companies don't die by hunger, but by or by homicide, they die by hunger. So it's more of like a lot of people can win up until a certain point where it's like a winner take all. But um, yeah, totally depends. So yeah, as far as what we agree with and and don't agree with, one thing I do agree with is he gave this playbook on how to pick a fight. Where, you know, if you're going to pick a fight, just remember, it's always better to punch up, not down. You want to be the, the David, not the Goliath. Um, and it should be against a big, bigger competitor if you do that. And always stay product focused and keep the tone positive um, because your true opponent is the status quo. So if it goes to what you're saying when it's going after a, a competitor, that's how you would pick a fight. Because one example was the Barstool sports guy that got attacked by Business Insider um, and that fight was actually, I, I have no uh, bias on, I don't really know that much information about it, other than the fact that like, he, it started out well, where it was him against Business Insider, but then he, instead of punching up, he started punching down and he looked at Business Insider's subsidies and they owned Morning Brew and he was going after some of their, not CEO, their executive team, but their employees. And he went from punching up to punching down where he went from the underdog to this bully. And it was so fascinating to see how the perspective on him changed 
as he shifted the scope of his gun on who he was going after. But I thought that was a really good takeaway. Yeah, it's, it's also, um, I think one of these sections on the post was around being grounded, especially as you define this category. The example he gives is of WeWork uh, and the team around that, um, how their mission uh, became elevating the world's consciousness, which is obviously like airy-fairy and intangible, too intangible. Um, and there's actually a very good show called We Crashed, which I've just recently started watching. It's like, uh, imagine the social network, but uh, a hippie version of that. That's essentially what this was. It's a very funny show, like uh, recalling how the, the company was founded and how essentially they, they lost touch of reality over time. So yeah, just the process around it as you define a category and not like lose touch of reality. That's for sure. And you know, is, so is that a show pretty good? Yeah, it absolutely is. It's on Apple TV, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we crashed one word. Yeah. Uh, obviously a play on We Worked on We Work. So <laughs> very funny. I've, I've been getting the Twitter ads for it. Um, the only thing that kills me is like Adam Newman of We Work. I think he's like 6'10 and they have Jared Leto playing him. And I think he's like 5'9 <laughs> on a good day. So um, yeah, that, that's the only stretch. But um, okay. Well, yeah, I think the, the, camera, the camera angles do do it justice. So they, <laughs> they play around with it. So. Yeah, put, put them in platforms and stuff. Um, okay, so let's go to what we disagree with. You kind of teased one that you had or the only one that you had. This one was a little bit of a stretch for me because this post was so good. But if I had to say one thing I disagree with, I'll go this whole article. He should not have compared this to politics. He actually missed the whole boat. He should have compared this to religion if you're starting a movement because he hit on the cult component a little bit. Um, I think he could have gone much bigger with a religion slant on getting evangelists, getting other like, you know, true believers and how they're amplifying your brand or your religion more and getting into rituals. Um, I think it was a huge missed opportunity by, uh, by him not doing that, but that that's my stretch of what I disagree with. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily what I disagree with, but I think one angle that I've I've noticed, especially with these people who write from a perspective of like recent success, is they think, uh, and it kind of comes across in the tone, that if you follow the same plan of defining a category and all that other stuff, or build the right expensive team that you've raised hundreds of millions of dollars to fund, that you will hit this um, example. And the examples they cite are obviously... Uh, like your Teslas and your sales forces, which are like 100 billion plus companies. So it's, I, I there is a narrative fallacy there that I think they're only picking the, the successful examples, including the, the, the writer's successful past history uh, to define this roadmap. And I wonder who like, and maybe this is maybe going over to like who this is written for, but this is founders, but maybe there's some people who like are not interested in these larger uh, like galvanizing a huge community and all that other stuff and just, you know, trying to build a, a decent sized company. Uh, and I, um, I think this maybe falls out of that. Um, it's, I feel like too, too focused on purely the Silicon Valley um, company that's going through the BC track. So that's, that's uh, something I disagree with. Yeah. It'd be interesting to put this through the lens of other companies, not at that scale, but have the same movement tied to it. I don't know if you could look at like a trying to think of like, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, even though those are pretty big, but even other kind of niche like brands that have had within their local maximum, like a big success. Because does that still align with this? Because there could be some survivorship bias to, to what he laid out here. So 
we like to end this with two things. First, why is this iconic? And I, I, I can start there. For me, it's, it's because of the person behind the 13 steps. I get a lot of content where people are reporting on what they're seeing with other companies, but this is a guy that has been a part of two unicorns. He invests in these. He has seen some insane success. So I believe he's kind of giving the, the answers to the test on this. So I think it's iconic because it's hard to get these billionaires to put out content like this sometimes in real time. You can see the memoir after they've had their great success, but I love that he's pretty, um, he's pretty good with putting content out there and th this one stands out. Yeah, I think uh, what really makes this iconic, I think, is not just like high level uh, strategy. It also hits on the tactical and the execution of building a team and how to handle your customers to build that community. So it's applicable at all levels. It's not just, uh, you know, just high level thoughts that's completely detached from reality. But at the same time, um, like you were saying, 22 laws of immutable, like uh, immutable, uh, 20, 22 immutable laws of marketing. That's probably the only other time I've really seen defining a category like captured and written out properly. And this is that idea written from a founder's perspective, which makes it even more effective because it's been put to practice and he details the, the strategic steps to be taken. So I think that's like maybe another angle that makes it even more uh, iconic. Yeah, that's really good. All right, final question. Who should read this and when should they read this? Well, everyone who wants to build a billion plus dollar company should probably read this. Um, and if you're I've always been, um, like if you're a tactical marketer who feels like they just need to pay to acquire eyeballs and attention, I think something like this uh, will definitely um, will give you that jolt of energy. And I think uh, people who, so maybe if you're not trying to build that billion dollar company, but maybe you're trying to build a, a company around a, a cause that you're very passionate about. It could be a small cause. Like imagine the, what was it called? The, uh, the fire movement, like financial independence, retire early movement. Like that's a relatively small cause, but it's, it's a new cause that's just been recently defined over the past decade. If you're trying to build a company around that, then something like this would be useful to you. So it's not just a, a billion dollar founder, even small, small uh, founders of smaller companies would also gain a lot of uh, advantages in reading something like this. Well, that's uh, the fire community is a great comp to this. Yeah, I, I think the people that should read this and win is if you think your growth for your brand or product or service is dependent on a mission or building a community, I would read this as the fundamentals on ways to think about growing that because some brands want to build a community or, or a mission or a movement, but it's, it's just not authentic or true. But if you truly have something where your product or service is bigger than something else, and you have the potential to do this, game on, right? Something like, you know, Tom Shoes or Bombas Socks, where it's truly mission-driven. Um, reading this in the early days could be good. Or anybody that's about to buy that black turtleneck and thinks there's some visionary like Steve Jobs, then maybe go ahead and and read this uh, read this one as well. Um, but here here's my here's my half baked idea that I have. I think we should shut down Growth Hit. We spin up a new agency. We call it Cult Creators. And we simply implement this 13-step program on how program on how to start a movement. Um, and we do this. It takes 13 months. We charge, I don't know, 13, uh, maybe $130,000 a month. And we just create insane movements for these potential billion-dollar unicorns. What do you think? 
Sounds like Netflix will be making a documentary about us for like breeding cult leaders or something like that. <laughs> Not necessarily looking forward to that, but uh, sounds exciting. Um, but uh, awesome. we'll see how that goes. Cool. We'll, we'll put on the roadmap. Um, well, Jonathan, this was a delight. Thank you so much as always, man. Thank you very much, Jim. Have a good one. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep. We have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthIt.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.